You're listening to the Sports by Fry podcast. On today's episode, it is Friday, so of course I'm addressing every fantasy sport imaginable. Now, the important ones, basketball, NFL, and of course the AFL as well. There is a ton to unpack. <clears throat> there is a ton to unpack after a pretty busy deadline day where we saw Andre Drummond get traded for a packet of biscuits. I'm going to Talk about that, plus the other relevant moves and what it means for your fantasy team. There's not a lot to talk about now that the NFL's done and dusted from a fantasy perspective. Going to dig a little bit into some of the dudes who stood out on the game's biggest stage. And then for an AFL thing, I'm going to try and look a little bit at Team Vanilla. Warney this week released a team on afl.com.au, highlighting the players who are in the majority of teams and have the highest ownership percentage. So I'll probably look at the top 15 or 20 so, talk about which ones I think are important, which ones should be watched, and who should be ignored. G'day Sports by Fry fans, thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Sports by Fry podcast coming at you on a Friday. Hopefully you've cruised through the week and you're ready for another fantastic weekend. Back again, covering the fantasy world, and there's plenty to talk about in the NBA with the trade deadline now passed. Just quickly before I dive into the relevant NBA fantasy trades and what it means potentially for your fantasy teams, there were... I think about a dozen trades in the last 48 hours of the deadline. So it was a pretty dead trade period right up until the last 48 hours or so. But a couple of the moves that I don't really think matter. We saw James Ennis go to Orlando. From an actual basketball perspective, I like this move. Uh, Jordan McRae going to the Denver Nuggets. I think he's going to be a boost on their bench. Scal Labissier ended up in Atlanta. Speaking of the Hawks, they shipped Jabari Parker and Alex Ling to the Kings. They got Dwayne Dedman back, who was actually an Atlanta Hawk last year, so they brought him back in return. Alec Burks and Glenn Robinson III head to Philly. I don't think either of them are really fantasy relevant, and they'll probably just be bench pieces anyway. Could change something, and maybe that makes Damian Lee at Golden State an interesting piece, but I don't think it's super crucial. Jordan Bell made his way to Memphis. Bruno Caboclo, who is still apparently two years away from being two years away, is now a Houston Rocket. And Derek Walton Jr. Head to Adla- headed to Atlanta. But like I said, I don't think any of those deals really matter. Starting with the ones that do matter, I can't really go past the huge four-team blockbuster that saw 12 dudes swap postcodes. Does leave a little, or did leave, a little bit of a hole at point guard for the Wolves, but I'll talk about that a bit later, how they addressed that. Could make Jarrett Culver an interesting pick. Depends on how Malik Beasley slots into Minnesota's rotation because now there's a couple of minutes up for grabs on the wing with Robert Covington gone. He made his way to Houston and it should see his fantasy numbers boost a little bit. Not a huge amount. PJ Tucker is probably the one that benefits the most from this trade because as part of their negotiations and their swindling, Houston parted ways with their big man Clint Capella. He's on his way to Atlanta where I think He'll probably continue putting up his 13 and 13 averages or something in the ballpark of, but PJ Tucker has a pretty tall task, pun intended, uh, on a nightly basis now, being a 6'5 player, or I think I might be underchanging him, he might be 6'6", but he's going to be manning the centre position for Houston, so he'll be snagging a ton of rebounds. I know that against Houston, to, against LA rather, today he went alright, but PJ Tucker's probably the only other player who I think will receive maybe not a significant boost, but 
at least a little uh, climb in his numbers. He had 10 boards against the Hornets the other day, and then, like I said already, against LA, he managed half a dozen. So, not too bad. Another relevant move, we saw Andre Iguodala finally freed from the shackles of the Memphis Grizzlies. was pretty adamantly uh, vocal about how he wanted to depart Memphis, and he got his wish. He's heading to Miami along with Jay Crowder, so and Solomon Hill, actually, who I uh, don't want to forget, but I don't really think he's fantasy relevant. be interesting to see what this does for the other Miami sharpshooters. I'm talking about Duncan Robertson and Tyler Hero in particular. How those dudes mesh with Iggy and Jay Crowder, who deserve to play minutes, will be interesting to watch. On the other side, Miami gave up Justice Winslow, Dion Waiters, and James Johnson, who was then on-traded to Minnesota for Georgie Jeng. So Johnson, I don't think I've kind of toyed with having him in my lineup a little bit throughout the year. I don't think he'll remain super fantasy relevant. Could get the start at power forward eventually for the T-Wolves, and that might make him important. Jeng lands in another crowded front court that already has Olenek, Myers Leonard, Bam Adebayo. So that probably actually hurts his fantasy numbers. But turning my attention back to some of the other guys, Dion Waiters, Apparently won't be staying with the Grizzlies. They're going to pursue a buyout for him. So I don't think he's going to be a super relevant fantasy dude down the stretch. But you never know where he ends up. Watch this space. If he ends up maybe on a rebuilding team and gets thrust a lot of offensive responsibility, he could become a factor. Probably not, though. Justice Winslow still hurt, still got a rooted back, has had for most of this season. But when he's been on the court, he's been pretty impressive. So... I wouldn't go at him right away. He is going to be an important part of Memphis's core and their future. There's a lot of young dudes on the Grizzlies roster to like, and I think Winslow is one of them, but injured at the moment, and I don't think, actually, let me uh, double-check this, don't think there's a timeline on his return, so I wouldn't, again, go pouncing on Winslow. Does have very handy small forward and point guard status, but he's in less than 20% of teams right now for a reason. And, yeah, like I said, He's part of that trade, but there is no idea when he's going to return to the court. Let's look at the Minnesota Timberwolves uh, and their big move that they made. They were pretty active on the deadline, and Carl Anthony Towns got his wish by landing one of his running mates that he wanted in D'Angelo Russell. I don't think it changes a hell of a lot fantasy-wise, but could see D'Angelo Russell get a little bit of a boost. Andrew Wiggins was the player who was sent back to Golden State with a couple of picks in return. Probably doesn't help Wiggins out. If anything, it might hamper his production. There's not a lot going on for Golden State, so we could see Wiggins become uh, the shiny toy that gets a lot of the fantasy numbers, but I've never been a fan of Andrew Wiggins, especially from a fantasy perspective. He burned me, might have been last year or the year before when I drafted him, so I'm a little bit sour on that. But uh, yeah, I don't think Wiggins is going to excel at Golden State. Could be wrong, and maybe next year when everyone's healthy, he might turn into playing a bit of a similar role that Harrison Barnes did, but we've never really referred to Harrison Barnes as a fantasy stalwart, so don't go expecting him to do a hell of a lot. One of the most surprising deals that came on deadline day, we saw Andre Drummond traded from the Detroit Detroit Pistons to the Cleveland Cavaliers. Kind of came out of nowhere, and basically, after all the details of the trade came out, it looks like the Pistons just dumped his salary on Cleveland, which is a very interesting time in Cleveland. They now have a very murky front court with Tristan Thompson in the mix. They weren't able to trade him away. Kevin Love is still on the roster. They couldn't find an appropriate deal for him. Larry Nance is back healthy now, and he's been playing pretty, had been playing pretty good of late. And now Andre Drummond lands right in the middle of that. Detroit got back John Henson and uh, Brandon Knight, so... 
and a 2023 20, second rounder. So like I said, basically traded him for nothing, dumped his salary. So I think Andre landing in Ohio hurts all of the players that I mentioned from a Cavs perspective. There's only so many rebounds that can go around on a nightly basis. And all four of those dudes who I talked about, Thompson, Nance, Love, and Andre are going to be fighting for all of them. So probably a little bit of a dip in their production. You might want to try and sell some of those blokes high. Kevin Love, I still have a lot of faith in being relevant from an offensive standpoint. And Andre Drummond is obviously going to get the start. Well, maybe not obviously, but I could not see him coming off the bench. So he'll still be a walking double-double. So those two are probably the most relevant. But if you're a Thompson or a Nance owner, don't have to react immediately. But you might want to start thinking about a plan B if their numbers do slide. The last relevant deal we saw was a three-team trade that landed Marcus Morris and Isaiah Thomas with the Clippers. I think from a basketball perspective, it's great gets for them, but Morris had been someone who maybe hadn't won you your league, but had definitely helped outperform and outkick his coverage from a drafting standpoint, was probably taken very late in your draft, or maybe even was still sitting on the waiver wire once the proceedings began at the start of the season, but landing in LA is going to hurt his production. Apparently, Isaiah Thomas isn't going to stay on the Clippers roster. They're looking at buying him out, potentially. I hope for Isaiah Thomas's sake that's not the case. He's gone through a lot in the last uh, couple of years. And honestly, I think he could help them, even if it is in a small role, or maybe sitting on the bench as a 12th or 10th or 11th man, and then should something happen to Lou Williams or Pat Beverly, who I think's hurt right now, actually, it might be a smart manoeuvre for them to plug and play IT. But I trust them to run their uh, franchise much more than uh, I could. In the deal, we saw Jerome Robinson from the Clippers go to Washington. Don't think he's going to excel. I think he'll kind of fill in the role that Jordan McRae left, which is really is an eighth type of man. But if he somehow slots into the starting role or can emerge as a sixth man candidate and fill in while John Wall's out, might see Robinson become a relevant fantasy dude? Probably not. And the last part of the deal saw Mo Harkless, who is pretty fantasy irrelevant, and a first round pick go to the Knicks. So what does all that mean? What I want to highlight is a couple of dudes who you might want to look at adding and a couple of dudes who you might want to look at dropping. I think the number one bloke who you want to add after all these moves is Christian Wood from the Detroit Pistons. Obviously, a bit of an unknown heading into this season. I think he was at the Bucks previously. But now that Andre's gone and Blake Griffin's out injured, Wood is probably going to see a pretty significant boost in his production. He's played 30-plus minutes in his last two games. Actually hit a couple of threes in those games as well, but he's filled up the stat sheet pretty broadly. He's averaging over 20 points in those games, got a couple of blocks, a couple of steals, so make sure if he is still on your waiver wire, you go and add him. Just in the last 24 hours, he's been added in 40% of ESPN leagues, but his ownership's still only in the 60%, so you might want to take a punt on him. Could be worth adding just out of curiosity to see exactly how he performs post-trade deadline. Kai Bowman is someone who you might want to think about as well. Now, he's had fantasy-relevant moments throughout the year for the Warriors, but the point guard is spending has been spending his time in the G League as well, and we know that Steph Curry's going to return probably within the next month. That could make Bowman relevant only for a small period, but again, he is owned in less than 1% of teams right now for a reason. If we see him on the court for the Warriors and you do need some help at point guard, then you might want to try and plug and play him. I think those two are really the only crucial dudes. Like I, I've already addressed some of the moves that you might want to make, but Wood is priority number one. And if we can see Bowman getting some minutes, then you might want to stash him on your roster as well. A couple of dudes who you might want to look at dumping. If Isaiah Thomas is bought out 
by the Clippers, then I can't really see him, A, finding another home immediately, but if he does, then B, I don't think he'll be putting up huge fantasy numbers. Could be wrong. There were moments when he was with the Wizards where, especially when he originally came back from injury, he started to excel, but I don't have a lot of faith in IT and his bung hip. I hope, again, for his sake that I'm wrong, but doesn't look like it's going to be the case. Landry Shamit has been excelling for the Clippers, so he's probably going to continue to play his important role, even if Pat Beverly stays on the sidelines for a bit. And Lou Williams is arguably one of the best fantasy players off the pine in the entire league. I've already touched on this a little bit, but if you're an owner of Duncan Robertson and Tyler Hero of the Miami Heat, they could both be worth ditching, but I wouldn't go and do it right away. Let's see exactly how Miami plans on rolling out this new group of wings with Iggy and Crowder in the mix. I have a hunch that Robinson would be the one dude that loses the production because from a pure basketball standpoint, Tyler Hero is the better player, just straight facts. But Robinson has proved that he can be really important as a sharp shooter. So Miami might want to keep playing him. He might see a dip in his minutes though. So owned in about 20% of teams, Duncan Robinson is. Tyler Hero a little bit higher, closer to the 40% mark. Both of those dudes might still be relevant. I could be wrong. We might see Iggy rested and deployed later in the season during the fantasy playoffs and during the actual NBA playoffs. But Jay Crowder is a pretty solid player as well. So I'd be surprised if both those dudes didn't eat into the production production rather of Robinson and Hero. <sighs> all right, that's all I've got for the NBA. I'll be back next week and talking about some more relevant moves you might want to make as you strengthen your roster before the playoffs. Let's turn my attention now to a little bit of NFL stuff. So if you've been living under a rock, the NFL season is over. The fantasy season ended about five or six weeks ago, but on Super Bowl at Super Bowl 54, we saw some pretty important players stand out. Pat Mahomes is arguably the best fantasy player in the entire league, and I think after what he did winning the MVP and leading the Chiefs to a Super Bowl, there is a legitimate question over whether you draft him or Lamar Jackson as the first quarterback when it comes time to do your NFL draft. It's not going to be for a couple of months. We've still got the draft and the off-season whole process where players will change teams to go through, but right now, I think there's a clear gap between the rest of the quarterbacks and Lamar and Mahomes. I think... It surprised me actually to learn this, but Mahomes still finished as the seventh highest scoring quarterback from a fantasy perspective, despite missing two games this season. He had better numbers than the likes of Aaron Rodgers, Kirk Cousins, and Matty Ryan, just to name a couple. So he still is one of the top tier fantasy quarterbacks. And if he's healthy again and plays all 16 games, there's no reason why he won't win another MVP or at least throw 40 to 50 touchdowns and be a huge fantasy factor. However, when it comes to drafting him or Jackson, I think I'm going to side with Lamar. His game and his rushing talents that he's got, moving the chains with his feet, I think does give him the edge over Mahomes, but it's a genuine discussion. We'll see what the Ravens and the Chiefs do to strengthen their teams on both sides of the ball. That might sway my decision a different way, but right now, if I had to draft an NFL fantasy team for the 2020 season and I was picking between those two quarterbacks, Lamar would be my pick. The quarterbacks weren't the only important position on the big game. Travis Kelsey and George Kittle both had their moments of glory, and Travis Kelsey actually, I think, was arguably Kansas City's best receiver. I know Tyreek Hill might have come through with the biggest plays and 
made the most, gathered the most yards. But Kelsey, for the entire year for Kansas City, has been their pure red zone target. And he helped score the touchdown that put them eventually in front. And I think for that reason, he's going to be another huge threat in the passing game in 2020. Last year, when we headed into the draft, we saw that Kelsey and Kittle, along with Zach Ertz, were kind of in a class of their own. But there are a lot of other tight ends who actually stepped up, and we were a little bit spoiled for choice when it came to picking dudes. Austin Hooper from the Falcons was one that stepped up quite a bit. Oakland Raiders tight end, now LA, uh, Las Vegas rather, uh, Raiders tight end, Darren Waller. He was pretty important. Mark Andrews was spending a lot of time getting a lot of snaps for Baltimore and had a couple of games where he scored multiple touchdowns. They're just a few dudes who I think help, like I say, bridge the gap between the top tier tight ends. I still think, though, that Trav Kelsey and George Kittle are in a class of their own. So, which one should I draft first, you're asking? If it comes down to it, I think just purely based on the amount of red zone targets that he's going to get and probably the high amount of touchdown potential he does have, Travis Kelsey is my pick to be tight end number one. He led the NFL in targets inside the 10-yard line in the regular season. And again, like I said, was a factor throughout the playoffs, getting a couple of touchdowns as well. That doesn't mean that there's a huge gap between him and George Kittle. And honestly, my arm can be twisted in either direction. I don't have as much faith in Jimmy G as a quarterback, but he can still find Kittle. And we saw just in 2018, Kittle set the NFL record for receiving yards by a tight end with nearly 1,400. So those two, I think, have kind of put themselves as the top one and two, similar with Mahomes and Lamar Jackson in the quarterback race. Zach Ertz and some of those other dudes I mentioned are still going to be important. So maybe for that reason, Kelsey and Kittle will see their average draft position slip because there's not as much importance on drafting a tight end given the depth of the position now. But obviously, we'll have to wait and see how the rest of the rosters structure out and what happens throughout the offseason. But right now, Kelsey number one, Kittle number two. Last thing I want to look at is the running backs from both teams. Damian Williams, in my opinion, probably deserved to be the MVP of the game if the last play that he had of reeled off wasn't a passing play. I was a passing play rather than a rushing touchdown. Then obviously that would have boosted Mahomes' numbers. But regardless, Williams was the dude who, again, I think, was the best player for Kansas City who eventually won the Super Bowl. Best player and the best team should usually get the MVP, but who am I to say? When it came to the regular season, though, Williams was pretty frustrating from a fantasy perspective. He struggled to beat out the other members in his backfield. LaShawn McCoy caused a lot of confusion. I'm blanking at some of the names of the other Chiefs running backs, but pretty confident in saying now that Williams has cemented his spot as Kansas City's RB1. Last year in the regular season, he was only the 38th highest scoring running back, but on a per-game basis, he was actually in the top 25. So if you can string together 16 games and... After his playoff performances, maybe Kansas City will have some more plays drawn up for him or a bit more faith for him to carry the load offensively. We could see him performing a bit better. I don't really want to say he's going to be a top-tier running back, but he could be a dude that surprises and pushes as a top 15 or at very worst a top 20 player. So don't go overdrafting him. Keep your ears glued to the ground and see, obviously, once again, how their rosters shake out. The Niners, they've been going with a running back by committee approach for most of the season, and I think they'll probably follow a similar suit in 2020. Raheem Mostert was their best fantasy running back, ranked number 26th from a scoring perspective, and he looks like he'll be RB1 once again. But again, like I said, their running back by committee approach, seeing a lot of other dudes in that backfield get plenty of touches, 
and Kyle Shanahan being a pretty talented offensive mind makes me think that the consistency from Mostert won't be there for a lot of fantasy coaches. Still six plus months until the season begins, so that could change. But the way that the teams look right now, wouldn't be too faithful on drafting, honestly, any of the Niners running backs. If Mostert does slip, though, I think he's the pick of the bunch. In the coming weeks, I'll probably turn my attention to looking at a lot of the draft prospects that are going to be entering the NFL. But again, like I said, with this season done and dusted, there's not a hell of a lot to talk about from a fantasy perspective. So let me transition into some AFL talk to finish this. As I said, at the lead-off, Warney released uh, Team Vanilla, the team that basically has the highest ownership percentage trying to plug and play a couple of players into the gaps earlier this week. So I'm going to look at the players who have a huge amount of ownership, talk about if they're in my team, and basically give my own two cents on them. So funnily enough, after looking at this, I actually own 15 of the top 20 owned players in fantasy, including all of the top 10 right now. First bloke who I think obviously is a shoe-in for everyone's team, hence the reason he's the most owned player, that is Marlon Pickett. In 60% of teams right now, doesn't matter if you put him on your bench, I can totally understand that rather than having him on your field, but either way, he has to be in your team, period. I won't waste any more time on that. Second highest ownership is a dude by the name of Brody Grundy. Now, everyone obviously wants to have Grundy in their team, hence his 59% ownership, but with only 59% ownership, that does tell me there's 41% of teams out there without him. Now, for the record, if uh, a team hasn't fully completed their squad of 30, then their ownership percentages won't be taken into account. So the 59% might be slightly off, but at the moment, Grundy's the second highest owned player. And I think it's for good reason. He averaged 122 points to be the highest scoring player in fantasy for 2019. I think with Max Gorn's latest injury setback, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw a little bit of daylight between him and the rest of the rucks this year. There is plenty of value in the ruck department, so by no means do you have to start with Brody Grundy. I mean, do what you, do what you want, it's your team, but he's sitting at R1 for me at the moment and will probably stay there barring anything crazy. Third highest owned dude is Lockie Whitfield. Now, I've been a little bit divided over of starting with Lockie Whitfield or not because he is pretty bloody expensive. 844k, he was set you back, priced at an average of around 114 so... There's every chance that he could get that in 2020, and he's in 58% of teams right now, so a lot of coaches believe that he will do that and be the highest scoring forward. The fact that he does have forward status will obviously help out his ownership, similar with Grundy being a ruckman. There's not a lot of ruckmen out there that are going to average 120, and there's probably not a lot of forwards that are going to average 115. So I don't hate the idea of starting with Whitfield, but... There is a lot you can do if you start without Whitfield and use that extra money to plug and play around your team. Fourth highest owned dude is Matty Rowell. If you want a reason why you need to pick Matt Rowell, priced at 270 grand, look no further than what Sam Walsh did last year. Now, I've said this multiple times before, they're very different players, but I think Matty Rowell might actually be a better tackler than Sam Walsh. So even if he loves to handball a bit more than kick and he's inside the trenches a lot more for the Suns, there's going to be plenty of opportunity for him to score in 2020. He's going to be right in the middle of the deck. Hopefully, Gold Coast can uh, keep his body in check and surround him with some other talented dudes. But regardless, I think he's going to push to be the best fantasy cash cow in 2020. So he's got to be in your team. Next two dudes who have an ownership over 50% come at a serious discount thanks to some injuries. One dude in defense I'm talking about is Sam Doherty. 
Back-to-back ACL tears mean that he's only priced at 563 grand. So as it stands right now, for Doherty to at least hit his break-even, he had to score 76. Now, if you're not really familiar with Sam Doherty, there was a lot of people talking about him as a potential fantasy pig before he did his ACLs. He's been a fantasy star in the back line for Carlton, so considering he's only priced in the 70s, I don't really think you could pass up on the value picking him, especially in defence. There's a lot of dudes in defence, I think, that are priced 10 to 15 points below what I think they can average. Doherty is definitely one of them. There's no reason why he can't be one of the highest scoring fantasy defenders and really bump that average up to 90 or maybe even closer to the triple figure mark. Another underpriced dude thanks to injury, Tom Mitchell. Now there was a little bit of concern about Tom Mitchell, whether he was going to play in the preseason for Hawthorne, whether they were going to rest him, whether he's going to be there round one, but all reports out of training camp for the Hawks are pretty positive. Tom Mitchell's only priced in the 90s, low 90s as well, and he's currently sitting in 52% of teams. Honestly, if I see Tom Mitchell playing any minutes in the preseason, that's going to be enough for me to take the punt on him in one of my valuable midfield slots. He has averaged some pretty astronomical numbers in the past, so don't try and get too fancy. If we see Mitchell named round one to take on Brisbane, then he should probably be in your side. String of cash cows are the next couple of popular owned dudes. Isaac Rankin is one of them who has over 50% ownership, which surprises me a little bit, but I did do a Dream Team Talk write-up about him the other day, which you can check out at dreamteamtalk.com, but there was a quote that I got off Tuke Miller who said they wouldn't be surprised if we saw Rankin push up the ground and maybe even through the midfield a bit. If he doesn't get that midfield time, I don't have a huge amount of faith in him being a huge scorer, but... If he's going to sit on our bench and be a bit like what Matty Parker was last year, give us some pretty solid 50s, a good emergency score, rise probably 250 grand in price. There's no reason why you can't start with him on your pine and then axe him around the buys. Darcy Cameron, everyone's favourite ruck bench player, is once again a popular owned cat at 43% of teams. I think the other uh, 60 or 50 odd that he's not in will probably plug him onto their ruck bench as well. Max King... For the St Kilda club, he is currently sitting on my bench right next to Isaac Rankin in the forward line. He also has an ownership of 43, and the Saints have said they want to get a lot of games into him this year. So similar to Rankin, I don't know if he'll score a hell of a lot. We haven't seen key forwards traditionally be the best fantasy scorers, but even if he's pushing an average of 40 or 50-odd, he could still make 100, 150k before we cut him. So King's another dude I think you should start with. Dylan Robertson is the next dude on the list. Interesting one considering his price. Weirdly priced, only at 327 grand, which is an average of just 44. Has had his own injury issues in the past, but all signs are promising at the moment, and much like a lot of these dudes who I've said, if he's there round one, I think he's worth taking the punt on to start with. We're up to number 11, and this is the first dude who's actually not in my team at the moment. I'm talking about Dustin Martin. This might surprise a couple of people because he is in for 40% of teams, but it's 720 grand. It's a lot to cough up for Dusty, who has had a habit and did last year of playing forward a bit and putting up some very inconsistent fantasy numbers. We saw him ball out throughout the fantasy finals, and if he is in that pure midfield role, then there's no reason why he can't push his average up to 105 and then even surpass that. But not in my forward line at the moment. This is one of those tricky situations where maybe if you start Dusty instead of Whitfield, you could pocket yourself an extra 120 grand, which is a hell of a lot of money to make some other changes throughout your team. So 
He has made his way in and out of my team throughout the preseason, but he's not there right now. One dude that is sitting on my field is Hayden Young of the Frio Dockers, also owns or has an ownership of 40%. Tick over 250 grand. I think he's going to be a high-scoring fantasy defender, similar to what Xavier Dersma was last year. For the Dendedong Stingrays and for Vic Metro, he rolled not through the midfield, but was up around the midfield a bit last year. So plus six is written all over him. He's going to be an intercept marker for Frio, be a great rebounding defender. And uh, the way Frio's trending, the ball's probably going to be in their defensive 50 a hell of a lot this year. So I like picking Young. Next couple of dudes, it starts to get a bit weird. There's some other guys like Brendan Stasevich and Ned McHenry, who a lot of dudes have seen as a popular name and just thrown on a bench or something. A couple of other guys who I want to talk about, though, are Jack McRae, Jake Lloyd, and Dan Houston. They round out the top 25, and at the moment, or no, sorry, all three of them were in my team, but I've actually gone and cut Jake Lloyd out of my team, and I've actually got Dan Houston as my first defender at the moment. That might change, and I might decide to pay up and start with Lloydie, but he's priced at 107, so he did play all 22 games last year. I don't know if he can get much better than that. If he's going to be the best scoring defender, I can see why he's saying it doesn't really matter what he's priced at. If he's going to be in your team all year, then you just plug and play him, which is the excuse that I would put forth for Jack McRae, who is sitting in my first midfield slot right now and has an ownership over 30%. But Lloydie, I don't have as much faith about him putting up some solid fantasy numbers. There were patches throughout the year, especially late, where he didn't really dominate. He had a string of 100, I think it was three, maybe four, 120-plus scores to start the year, but as the year progressed, he kind of dipped a bit. So I'm not against not starting with Jake Lloyd in your team. Jack McRae, like I said, I think it's a different circumstance. I, if I was a betting man, would put money on McRae to be the highest-scoring fantasy player this year. There was that period to start the first 10 or so games where he was playing weirdly off a flank and then we saw Dunkley swapping in and out of the middle and McRae was also doing a similar thing. But towards the back half of the year, McRae averaged something close to 130. And it sounds a bit of a stretch, but I wouldn't be surprised if he did that again or at least went 120 plus. Talked a little bit about Dan Houston, but given the fact that Ollie Wines is now out with injury, we saw, oh, what's the young draftee? I'm blanking at his name. Doesn't matter. What I'm going to say is that Dan Houston is going to be pretty relevant from a fantasy perspective if he's rolling through Port Adelaide's midfield, which, judging by all reports, is going to be the circumstance. He has defender midfield status, which is a very handy link to have. Is only priced at an average of 80. Late throughout last year, we saw him rolling through the midfield and playing up on a wing for Port Adelaide, and he put up some pretty wicked numbers. So no reason why you shouldn't have Dan Houston in your defense. And at the moment, like I said, he's sitting as my first defender. I could sit here and roll through another 25 fantasy dudes, but you get the drift. A lot of the popular guys out there are in a lot of teams for good reason. I think everyone wants to try and chase uniques and find diamonds in the rough and pick the blokes who have 3% ownership that no one else is thinking about. But Brody Grundy was one of the most popularly owned players at the start of last season, and he was one of the highest scorers throughout the year. So it's all good to try and chase some uniques and be a little bit get your thinking outside the box, but you've got to have some of these guys if you want to succeed in 2020. And that 
is a wrap on another Fantasy Friday. Once again, thank you for tuning in. I'll probably do another Fast Five over the weekend talking about some other relevant NBA stuff. Like I said, I'm going to ramp up my production from a lot of the NFL college prospects. It's a couple of quarterbacks I like and plenty of other well relevant wide receivers who I think are going to be fantasy popular in 2020. And there's always plenty of AFL fantasy stuff to talk about as well. So once again, thank you for listening to this podcast. Have a great weekend. Till next time. Peace.